Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who uh, are working so hard to make coastal Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such a great place to live, work, and play. But it is Friday, so that means it's Jeff Duncan Day here on Coast View. Jeff is a uh, a reporter and columnist for NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune, a dear friend who's been on this show for Man, going uh, over two years now, actually. So anyway, before we go any further, let me welcome you back to Coast View, Jeff. How are you? Ricky, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, listen, I had our friend Jeff, uh, Jeff James O'Byrne on uh, within the past week, and uh, he and Paula say hello. And nice. uh, he, we, we, just for people who may have missed that show, James is a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and editor. He used to work at the Times Picayune and he and his wife uh, considered, as he explained to us, moving up to uh, uh, the Seattle area. They, you know, we, they were at a c- career moment in their lives, and they went over to visit some friends in France. Ended up buying a house there and moving to France. He's a travel writer. Mostly semi-retired, just enjoying the countryside of France. He's a really, really smart guy. But what I mentioned is that you've really enjoyed sort of living vicariously through their their world in France. And he pointed out to me that some of his friends do that nicely, and some of them are quite negative about it because they, <laughs> they envy him so much. But um, it was great to catch up with him. If you didn't see the show, I'll send it to you, and so you can get an update on what all he's up to these days. But it was a it was a terrific conversation. Yeah, I admire them so much for what they did. That's not easy to do. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape you got to navigate, and for them to be able to do it and then live that great life that, over in the French countryside, I think uh, I don't know if I could pull that off, but I would love to try. I told him about the conversation you and I had about him and Paula being able to sort of assimilate into the community, not knowing French at the time and how they sort of mastered that. I mean, it's it's incredible. I'm not surprised because, as you well know, they're both really, really smart, extraordinarily well-read. And now he's going into sort of community engagements with people today that where they, no one speaks English. It's all French. And he holds his own now. So does Paula. But I'm not surprised by that. Are you? No, not at all. They're like two of the smartest people I know. And uh, look, French is a hard language to learn. I had seven years of Spanish, Ricky, and uh, I thought that would help me over there. It didn't help me at all. Uh, <laughs> and I was completely lost. And and as much as I love going to France, I'm kind of a Francophile. Uh, my experience would be enhanced so much if I could speak the language and yeah. learn some of the subtleties and nuances of the of the language. And look, I'll get there one day. We got a lot of great uh, French. Uh, lessons, French-speaking schools here in New Orleans. 
So I need to get in some of those classes. Well, one of the things he said that he and Paula were just about getting to a point where they were making, they have a coach and they were making a lot of progress. He said, it's important to be able to see people's lips when, because there's the, the pronunciations and there's really a tough, as you pointed out, a tough language to learn, especially the older you get, the harder it is to learn it. And he said, the moment they started getting a little bit better at understanding people by listening and watching their lips, people had to put a mask on <laughs> and it just kind of threw through everything kind of out of kilter there for a while, but it was great catching up with him. We talked about a wide range of things, um, you know, Macron and the role that he's played in sort of intermediating between Ukraine and Russia and social media. And it, it was just a terrific conversation. Anyway, you're actually at UNO. Tell me what you're doing there. Yeah, I'm out at the uh, University of New Orleans, uh, the great basketball program that Mark Schlesinger runs here with the privateers and they're in first place right now in the Southland Conference. And Coach Sless is on the verge of history. One more win, he's gonna be the winningest coach in UNO basketball history, which is you know, quite an achievement when you look at the long list of coaches that have been here, Ricky, between uh, Tim Floyd, of course, the Mississippi guy himself, uh, Benny Dees, Tick Price, Ron Green, I mean, I can go down the list. A lot of great coaches here. Coach Sless with one more win will be the winningest coach in the history of the program. So I wanted to come out and watch a little hoops. I, I told Coach, uh, they practice at 6.30 in the morning every day. Uh, I could not play for Coach Sless. I just, yeah. I, I, have to, I don't think a guy could, at least when I was in my 20s or, you know, in my late teens, uh, I was not an early riser. I am now. Uh, but it does keep those kids, I, I assume, keeps them out of trouble because they have to get up so early to get over here to practice every morning. But yeah. intense practice this morning. Nice State uh, better be, uh, they better bring it if they want to hang with these guys because these guys get after you. So what what is this thinking behind that? It's just, it's just all about discipline and, you know, the, the early bird gets the worm. What's this thinking about that? Yeah, I think so. I think all those things. I mean, he just loves to practice. I was talking to him today about it. He said his, his two favorite places to be are at home and are in the back gym here at Lakefront Arena coaching his kids on the court. They have another practice this afternoon. So two a days here at UNO, uh, big game this weekend to try and, uh, you know, continue what they're doing. I mean, they've got a really good team this year and uh, Sless has been on the road all week recruiting. He was back in the gym. I think he missed it for a couple of days because he was, he was into it this morning. Well, you're actually in his office, right? Yes. Yeah, for, at, there at UNO. So I'm nice of him to lend his office so that we can have a Coast View visit. You know, it's interesting. We talk about the Saints, and we're going to certainly get up to speed on them here shortly. But you know, you're actually, you know, and as we've discussed every each year in the off season, certainly this year's off season with the Saints is going to be incredibly dynamic. I mean, frankly, last year was too. For a lot of reasons, but you're 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 you really are covering the sports scene. You you've obviously get, have some incredible interest in LSU. You're there at UNO today. You're actually a, a, a horse racing enthusiast and reporter as well. So you really cover a wide range of topics, don't you, Jeff? Yeah. Well, speaking of horse racing, uh, this weekend I'll actually be out at the fairgrounds on Saturday. They have the Risen Star Stakes, which is a big prep race for the Louisiana Derby. The horses running in that race, the three-year-olds, uh, the ones that graduate from that race will be on the path to go to the Kentucky Derby. So this is an exciting time of year uh, on in the horse racing circuit. And I'm look, as a native of Louisville, Kentucky, I mean, that was part of our culture there, the Derby. 
and I love the sport. I wish it could get its act together. Uh, there's a lot of problems with it, but it's a majestic sport when you're there. There's nothing more exciting exciting than seeing these horses in the flesh come down the stretch of a big race like that. And there's a lot of great people in the sport, and it's a big industry. It's a huge industry yeah. in the state of Louisiana, so I'm excited about getting out there Saturday. So my friend uh, Terry Green, who with Rick Carter owns the Allen View Casino here in coastal Mississippi. Terry lives outside of Houston, but he has a, a, a horse farm in Kentucky, and uh, he's, he's at it pretty hard. And seems to have been, you know, really hooked by it. But the people who are engaged in it, and Miss Benson included, uh, who are engaged in it, man, it is a big, big, big commitment, isn't it? Yeah, it's big time money. I mean, I think if you're in the horse racing business, you got to have a lot of money, I think, and, and treat it almost as like a, a hobby. But the people in it, in the sport, are just as competitive as they are in other sports. I mean, Tom Amos, who's, you know, uh, Jim Amos's brother. Uh, is one of the top horse trainers out at the fairgrounds. And uh, Tom is every bit as competitive as Sean Payton or Mark Schlesinger or any of the other coaches I cover. I mean, in his world, um, you know, he he wants to win. And he lets the jockeys know, and uh, the jockeys are the same way. And, and there's a lot of money. It's It can be a very uh, rewarding sport if you're successful in it. And unfortunately, I think that's part of the problem. There's so much money in it now that people are willing to cut corners and we see some of these issues that have infiltrated the sport uh, with drugs and performance enhancing, uh, you know, narcotics, if you will, uh, that I think have, you know, really threatened the integrity of the sport. And I think a lot like boxing, it needs a governing body and something that can kind of unify the sport from state to state. But I do think one day, Ricky, we'll see the elite of the sport, the Breeders' Cup uh, championships come to New Orleans every fall they run that race this year it was out in los angeles and i think we'll see that happen here in new orleans and i think that could take the sport to another level here in new orleans yeah tom amos man is he uh, a celebrated trainer there not just in new orleans but i mean he's nationally known brother jim amos who we used to work with at nola media group times picayune and nola.com how's, how's jim doing have you heard from him lately he spends a lot of time up in poplarville uh, yeah up, yeah up in that part of the state and uh, yeah, he's doing fantastic. You know, he's always traveling. And yeah. the last I heard, he was he was learning another language. I think Tom told me uh, like his seventh language that he's <laughs> trying to master. Uh, he's way of way out of my as league. We, as we knew him, you know, he was the vice president of news when I was president of Noah Media Group, and. Jim, uh, what a what a great newsman he is! But you could speak fluent German, and I mean this, I mean he's amazing. And he was when he bought that place up in Poplarville and was renovating it and moving along. He loved the the whole aspect of the rural aspect of it. You know, being able to kind of go back in time to go to Poplarville because going going to Poplarville is like getting in touch with the roots of America in a way. It's, you know, in a way it's close but not really close to anything. So uh, anyway, we'll continue our conversation with Jeff Duncan on the other side and get the latest on the Saints. See you after this break.
subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. It's Friday here on Coast View. So we have Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. And as we were, we were talking before we went to break, he covers a wide range of subjects in the sports area, not just uh, not just the Saints. And he happens to be at the uh, head coach for the basketball team for the University of uh, New Orleans in his office as we speak. Uh, nice of him to, to loan you the office so you can join us today. So let's shift gears for a second. Um, as we discussed last week, uh, our new coach of the New Orleans Saints did not let any grass grow before he started making immediate decisions. So why don't you kind of give me what's the latest, what you're hearing behind the scenes, what's what's the story there right now? Well, Dennis Allen is trying to, I think, get his staff assembled. And I think part of the reason it's taken a little bit longer is he wants to – I think interview some of these coaches that were on the staffs of the Super Bowl teams. They had to wait till the Super Bowl was over. So we should see a lot of movement this week. I know that uh, he still needs to hire both coordinators, offensive coordinator. Uh, we've talked about before on the program, Pete Carmichael's kind of stepping aside. He's still going to be a part of the staff, but he's not going to be the coordinator. So they have to hire an offensive coordinator to replace Pete and a defense coordinator to replace Dennis Allen. And that could come internally. I know there's a couple of strong internal candidates, Ricky, with uh, Ryan Nielsen, the defensive line coach, and Chris Richard, the secondary coach. Both of them have coordinator experience at different levels. But because of the Rooney Rule requirements, uh, the team is, uh, has to meet those guidelines, and they they will. Uh, you have to interview two minority external candidates for each of those positions. So it's taken a little bit longer, I think, for DA to get through the interview process and bring in some candidates and do some Zoom interviews. Uh, so that's where he's at right now. He's We, we know he's hired Doug Marone, uh, but we don't know what capacity Doug Marone's gonna be in because he's still trying to get different uh, people in the building uh, and get them hired so he can figure out who's gonna take what title on the staff. What are you hearing? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I know he's got his eyes on a, uh, a member of the Rams staff. I don't know who that is right now, but I think that's the offensive coordinator candidate. I think he's going to promote one of his internal candidates, uh, either Nielsen or Richard, as the defensive coordinator, but he's got to go through the process first. So I think by the end of the week, we should have a really good feel for what the staff is going to be like. I, look, they're getting close here. I mean, we're midway midway through February, and free agency starts the first week of March. So they've got to get rolling here, get the staff assembled, start having their personnel meetings, and figure out what direction they're going to go once free agency starts. So there's a compressed timetable for them. And, uh, you know, uh, the reality, as you and I both know, where whoever they hire will have been going through with their teams all the evaluation process of free agency. So it's not like they'll be starting from scratch and they'll have the opportunity to take advantage of any relationships. And maybe they know some things that we don't know. It's going to be a lot of, diverse of diversity of thinking in the early stages around possibilities. And it will be interesting to see how that shakes out, won't it? Yeah, look, I think getting some some fresh blood in there is always a good idea. Uh, I, I know they wanted to maintain the, the status quo to some degree and and maintain the culture that has been built there from the Sean Payton era. But I think it's always good to get new 
uh, ideas, fresh ideas in the building. And I think Dennis Allen understands that and values that. Uh, I think it's good to get a guy like Doug Marone in there. He just came from the University of Alabama under Nick Saban. He's been a head coach at two different stops in the NFL. Uh, that's good to get get someone like that in the building now that uh, you know has seen how things work at different places. And I yeah. think it's good for Dennis Allen also to have another head coach uh, that he can use as a sounding board because there's only so many people that have sat in that same seat. You know, the 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 Super Bowl, by the way, Super Bowl is excellent. I enjoyed the Super Bowl, but it shows, uh, again, the importance of the offensive line. It shows the importance of the defensive line. If you, you have to have a strong defense. you got to have playmakers on offense. you got to have a star quarterback. you got to have a star receiver. Um, I mean, every thing that you and I have talked about. It all, all kind of played out in that, that game. Maybe it was a little bit closer than some people would have expected, but I think if Odell Beckham had not gotten injured, it probably would have been a, 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 a you know a bigger spread in the game. But it, it wasn't there weren't a lot of big surprises in that game for you, were there? No, and I'll tell you the lesson I think for Saints fans is uh, you know Matthew Stafford was in Detroit a year ago. The Rams go out, make a big move to get him in a trade, and they win the Super Bowl a year later. The year before that, Tom Brady was in New England. Uh, he ends up in the, as free agency with Tampa Bay, and they win a Super Bowl. The last two Super Bowls have been won by teams that did not have quarterbacks on the roster the year before. So I think the Saints could consider themselves in that same position. If they can go out, address that position, and get somebody in the building – that they can win with uh, this team. There's no reason to think they can't be back in the playoff hunt, maybe even in the championship hunt with the roster they currently have intact. But that's a big ask too. finding yeah. a quarterback like Stafford or Brady. Those guys don't grow on trees. Michael Thomas, you think he's going to come back and, and what, what you're thinking about Michael Thomas? Well, everything I've heard is he definitely is going to be back. They're expecting him uh, back in the spring for mini camps. Now, whether he can practice at full capacity remains to be seen, but I've heard his rehab's going well, and I've heard he's been very engaged with the staff, communicating regularly. So I don't think anything... First of all, Ricky, to, to trade Michael Thomas right now would be exorbitant on their salary cap, so it doesn't make sense uh, for any either side. Uh, his trade value would be very low. Uh, I think he needs to get back, get back on the field, and I know he wants that. He's a very competitive guy. And the Saints need him, obviously, at the receiver position. Uh, they missed him greatly last year. Yeah, he he is. Do you describe him as a possession receiver? Yeah, I think so. That's a good way to describe it. I mean, he's kind of an uber possession guy. You know, he's an elite guy, uh, and they could they could probably use another receiver to complement him, another playmaker. I mean, when you look at these teams in the Super Bowl, it's not just one guy on the perimeter. You need two or three uh, to really. You know, succeed at the highest level. So I don't think the Saints will be one and done at receiver, counting Mike Thomas. I think free agency, the draft, they're gonna. That's gonna be a priority for them to try and find more playmakers, guys that can stretch the field. Uh, that's not really Mike Thomas's uh, bread and butter. He's the third down, red zone, possession type receiver. I still read all these different analyses of people like Garoppolo. And um, I read a story yesterday. It wasn't from one of these, you know, wild sites, one of these clickbait sites, but just a, a, a respected columnist saying 
he wondered if Tom Brady was done because Tom Brady had, uh, had followed the the San Francisco 49ers. And wouldn't it be interesting if he reappeared there in a s- similar scenarios with Tampa? I don't know if that's – I think that may be just wishful thinking. But, again, the sort of the thought that Garoppolo is not that guy, even though in your – uh, New Year's kind of, uh, uh, you know, thinking about things, you thought there was a chance at least that, that Garoppolo could come to the Saints. Do you think he's that kind of player? Well, he's definitely going to be moved this offseason. There's no doubt. He's going to be playing somewhere other than San Francisco. But there's competition right now. The Saints aren't the only uh, elite franchise looking for a quarterback. Tampa Bay, obviously, without Tom Brady, and the Pittsburgh Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger. Those are two really built to win rosters like the Saints that are going to be in the quarterback market. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the landscape shifts uh, in the league. Like I said, all it takes is somebody to find a quarterback. And I think Garoppolo is a winner. I think he's the kind of guy you could plug in in New Orleans in this roster and they would be right back in the playoffs, maybe even the favorites to win the NFC South without Tom Brady in Tampa. Uh, So I think he's a good fit for the the timeline of this roster and the age makeup right now that you've got in New Orleans. It's amazing that someone like Odell Beckham goes to Cleveland, makes a little bit of an impact, and then just kind of, you know, I don't know what, it just kind of melts down. And then he goes to the Rams midseason like he did and has such an incredible impact. Um, You know, winning franchises with the right players can do some amazing things, can't they? Well, I think it's all about the culture and the environment and the atmosphere that's been cultivated and fostered by the Rams. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. bought into the program, and they they obviously were able to have a very productive season, half season out of him. And I think he would have been the same way if he would have come to New Orleans. He looked at the Saints very hard, but I think two years ago he would have come to New Orleans. But with the quarterback situation the way it was at the time, the team where it was at, uh, he probably, I don't think there's any doubt about it, he made the right decision. Uh, but the Saints have a very attractive uh, location for players. And that's really, I think, been the greatest part of Sean Payton's legacy was changing the culture, changing the perception of the entire organization to where now they're a destination market. Uh, that wasn't the case two decades ago. Players did not want to come here and play. And we're starting to see that happen on the other side of the building with with the Pelicans, uh, getting C.J. McCollum here. Uh, he he was heavily involved in that trade. He decided he wanted to go to New Orleans. So that's what you want to get to. Uh, it's not an easy road. Uh, and I think you're right. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, did not produce in Cleveland the way he did in L.A. And I think a lot of it had to do with the coaching staffs and the environment that he was in. It's been an odd year for the Pelicans. But what, what, what we need to do, and we haven't talked much about that, we'll shift gears a little bit. We'll get the latest on the Saints next week. But let's let's talk about where the Pelicans are in the in the in their history, what what we had to look forward to, the nature of that trade. They're really a close-knit group of uh, players, and they seem to have confidence in sort of where they are and where they may, may be going. And we'll talk more about that because I know you're pretty close to that as well. But we're out of time for the day. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, joining us, even though you're on the road. I appreciate you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Ricky, for having me. And uh, everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. This has uh, been Jeff Duncan, and we will see you soon. Thank you. Have a great day or a great weekend. Talk Mississippi Media Production.